Hi, I'm Liv. I am 22 years old and I've had type 1 for 10 years. I am currently a senior at Amherst College, but I'm remote this semester, so I'm home in sunny Southern California, and I just ran my first marathon. Okay, episode nine. Episode nine already. Um, so today, joined by Liv. Welcome, Liv. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. When you reached out Friday, I figured that I either needed to have a really good race Saturday or at least have some crazy story to tell you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And obviously we'll get onto your race and, and, and everything you did at the weekend. But I've sort of, I remember comments or I remember stumbling across your Instagram page. And I was like, man, this girl is just happy all the time. Like 24 <laughs> seven, this girl is happy. And I think I commented being like, I think you need an award for the smiliest and happiest diabetic that I know. So no, I was excited and yeah, I'm pleased that we're, we're able to talk. But um, yeah, for those that don't know, whereabouts, whereabouts in the world are you at the minute? I am from Southern California, specifically Los Angeles. Very nice. And how are things in Los Angeles at the minute? Obviously, everyone's kind of in the same boat and things in the UK are sort of starting to relax a little bit, or at least we have plans to. But um, how, how are things looking over in the States at the moment? California is definitely a little bit behind in terms of us opening up. We do have outdoor dining again, which is lovely. And I mean, we're so insanely lucky just to have the sunshine all year round. So it's always in the 50s to 70s every day. So that in itself, just the fact that I can get outside and run every day is such a blessing. Yeah, yeah. No, I was definitely pretty jealous. Um, the first few times I was <laughs> the first few times I saw you posting um, videos <laughs> of your runs and stuff, and I was sat inside with like a foot of snow outside the door. So <laughs> it's was uh, your winter harder than the other winters because it looked brutal from my perspective at least. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, so the last sort of winter that I can remember being like having that much snow um, was probably sort of 2010, 2011. So yeah it's been ages um and it was really weird so we had snow on christmas day which is kind of i guess something everyone kind of wants um but yeah we we sort of um it was a really really strange winter and that we just had so much snow compared to normal um and now it's kind of completely flipped on its head so we've got bright sunshine and yeah february's just been the weirdest month we started off with a foot of snow and now it's you can sort of be out in a jumper and not too bad so um wow. but yeah i'm always conscious that obviously um LA and sort of California and because I remember us chatting about this on 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 Instagram and I was sort of saying you know it's one of those places that I've only ever really seen in in movies and you always think you know it must just be the most amazing place to live and then I remember you saying you I can't remember what film it was but you said that it was the, the holiday same, yeah it was the same for the UK <laughs> one of my for favorite you. movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's sort of I'd never really considered it the other way around obviously everyone I know was sort of like oh it'd be amazing to live in LA and you're saying yeah I really want to visit UK <laughs> the Cotswolds I think that's what what they yeah, call it yeah the Cotswolds yeah for sure <laughs> I don't think I've even been so yeah no it's it's uh oh, you have to go I know I'll have to go report back and tell you whether it's worth visiting please but, do yeah <laughs> so I know it's obviously reasonably early in the morning for you being over in, in California but you've already done am I right you've already done your run for the day I did. I did seven miles this morning. My coach and I met last night to discuss marathon two training plans. So my easier days are going to be much easier. And then tomorrow I'm doing my first long run. And the way it's going to work is we'll break up half of it to be marathon goal race pace, which is going to be about 650 now, <laughs> which is a little bit intimidating. So yeah. <laughs> did seven miles, got it done, took it easy. And now I'm here. Yeah. So what is how sort of how's life looking for you at the minute? So are you are you just focusing on, on your training? Are you just focusing on the running? Are you studying? Are you at university? Um, how, how's how are things looking for you at the moment? Yeah. So I go to Amherst College, which is a small liberal arts school in Western Massachusetts. So very different <laughs> from Los Angeles. But I wanted to go to a small liberal arts school that would challenge me academically where I could still run cross country and track. So I run cross country and track there. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, at one point I thought I was meant to live on the North in the Northeast. Now I don't know about that given how much I love the West coast. So I'm currently a second semester senior there, but I'm remote. And so having lost my cross country and track season, I've always been a long distance person. I love challenging myself. I would run the 10 K and track and I'd want to run even further, which sounds kind of ridiculous. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> so 
then once season kind of stopped and then I was training for about a year with just 50, 55 mile weeks, but I couldn't really get myself to do workouts because if I don't have a goal in sight, similar to what you were saying earlier, it's hard mm. for me to push myself. Yeah. So yeah. then I'm stubborn and kind of over the top. So naturally I was like, well, how about I run a marathon? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how, that's how the marathon happened. But I decided it two months before I ended up running my first one. So it yeah. was pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, absolutely. Like we, we were obviously talking and, and I put it on my social media yesterday. So I sort of have to hold myself to account that I obviously want to try and do a half marathon by, by May. And obviously we were talking about that, but yeah, I, I remember seeing you and you sort of saying, you know, in eight weeks time, I'm going to run a marathon. And obviously, you know, you have a background in running, but mm-hmm. still <laughs> it's sort of, it's quite a quick, you know, it's a really quick turnaround time. So was it just something, as you say, to kind of keep you motivated and something to target, um, you know, while things are a little bit calmer than normal? Yeah. So Eric Tozer, I don't know if you know yeah, him. Yeah, I- yeah. He is my absolute hero. So I saw, I think two years ago that he did the world marathon challenge and I talked to him on the phone a few weeks ago and he was like, I had only run three marathons before I did the world marathon challenge. And I was so insanely inspired. So I was like, I'm 22. I'm still in school right now. I have the time to train given that I'm only taking two classes plus my thesis. So why not now? So mm. I'm not someone that likes to do little challenges. I'm kind of either all in or not at all. So that's why I texted my coach and was like, am I crazy to do this marathon? And she was like, no, we can come up with a training plan. So then I was all in for eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, 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 um, it looked, yeah, it looked like in a pretty intense eight weeks, but as I say, sort of seemed to smile all the way through it, which was <laughs> pretty inspirational in itself. But so I guess, obviously you must've started, um, you know, running from a pretty young age. I know for me, um, you know, I started swimming very young and sort of worked my way through. And, and it, when it got to sort of uni age, um, you know, you kind of had to be at a university pretty much to be, you know, surrounded by other sort of competitive athletes and things like that. So is it, is it much the same in the States that it sort of starts off in local clubs and then um, a pretty sort of competitive level at, I guess, collegiate level for you guys? Yes, very similar. So I was diagnosed almost 11 years ago when I was 11. So for us, that's the summer before middle school, which is state grade. Okay. And I played soccer and I love soccer, but I was all set on running cross country middle school just because running was always my favorite component of soccer. When we had to run laps, that was my favorite part. Oddly enough, like everyone else's torture was my, was my joy. <laughs> and then in the hospital, my doctor actually mentioned that running was a great way to help keep my blood sugars stable. So I figured might as well start running now. So I started running in middle school. My dad used to run with me with a big fanny pack. It was hard at first. I was not fast at all. And then a high school rolled around and I was so into it. I'd stopped playing soccer at that point. So I was just fully committed to running and I just fell in love with the sport. And the way I describe it to my friends is that for as long as I've had type one, I've had running. So the two go hand in hand. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about running because they're two constants I'll have for the rest of my life. You know, people will come and go in and out of my life, but I'll always have type one and I'll always mm-hmm. have running. So I think that's why I fell in love with the sport. And then I became faster in high school. And then I figured it was something I wanted to do collegiately because I didn't want to stop running competitively. I love competing. And I also just love long runs with friends. I think that's why I've made some of my closest friends through like 12 mile runs where we're all dying, but we're having these heart to heart conversations. So <laughs> yeah, then I started running at Amherst and the rest is history. I, I love it so, so much. And I'm so grateful that diabetes has helped me found running in that sense. Mm, yeah, for sure. No, it's interesting. I know we've spoken about it before and obviously, um, you know, I've talked about how sort of swimming affected my, my diabetes and diabetes mm. sort of affected my swimming. And there's sort of, you know, there's that relationship between the two. And it sounds like it was quite similar for you that, um, you know, as you say, they're two constants in your life. And it must have obviously had, you know, we'll get on to the actual marathon event you did, but sort of the training you were doing, there must have been times I imagine that you can relate where, you know, certainly when I was swimming, there were sessions that I had to miss and there were sort of frustrating times where maybe you drop low in the middle of a session and you have to yes. bail out before, you know, before you were ready to sort of physically. Um, so I guess that was sort of probably similar for you, for you growing up, um, you know, with, with running as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had every single kind of blood sugar you can imagine. I went <laughs> one time, the only time I've gone to the ER for type one was right after a long run, just because my blood sugars were not cooperating. <laughs> so I've experienced that. I've had to drop out of races because I was either too low or the other thing that's hard is that you think you're going low, but then in reality you're not. So then your brain psyched you out. And then I've missed a workout just because I was like 250 on a rep and I needed to go on a walk rather than pushing a fast interval. So yeah, I've experienced every kind of blood sugar. And then also in terms of fueling, what fueling and figuring out what you need to eat before a run, I had every possible blood sugar from that too, in every situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Cause obviously, you know, before, before we jumped on, I was, I was talking to you just about, you know, when, when I was swimming, you know, sort of, um, I was doing open water for a while and I was quite good at that, but that sort of, you know, the diabetes man management around that was quite frustrating because obviously, you know, you're having to, to stop and take on gels when, when other people weren't. And I guess in, in a way, did diabetes sort of ever affect the, the type of running you were doing? Like, was it ever a, a conscious decision to sort of, um, stay away from the longer stuff at first and focus on sort of more speed stuff? Or was it always just an option? Cause you know, for me, um, certainly my diabetes management towards sport, I, it was so much easier when I started doing sprint events, you know, I only had to be ready to go for sort of 20 seconds or 50 seconds. So, um, you know, the preparation behind that, yes, you have to be bang on for those 20 seconds, but you're not worrying about dropping low as long as you're fine, you'll be fine at the end kind of thing. So I guess for you, when you were running, was it ever a consideration about diabetes sort of limiting you or was it just a case of working out how you were going to do it? Yeah, that's so interesting that you've really tried the full spectrum of, mm. of swimming distant, different distances. For me, I ran my first 800 meter run in high school and absolutely hated it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, this is way too fast. Um, I don't want to sprint two laps. And then I ran the 3200 in high school and loved that so much more. And then by the time, so in college, I would always run a 6K for cross mm-hmm. country. That was our distance. And for me, that was my prime spot. So I've always been a distance gal. I also think the nice thing about running longer distances is I have more time to figure out my blood sugars. And for me, at least like when I, when I'm doing hard reps and sprinting, my blood sugars will spike because of adrenaline. So when I'm doing longer, consistent paces at a longer distance, my blood sugars are super stable. So oddly enough, it worked out great in the sense where I just gravitated towards long distances and my blood sugars were better for the longer distances too. So then the two went hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into sort of, I'm sort of very keen to hear about how you fueled and sort of how you do that day to day. I guess, um, before we jump into that, you know, one of the, one of the key things that I've spoken to a few people about, um, you know, on this podcast, especially those in the States is sort of, um, just general sort of day-to-day management with diabetes over in the States. Obviously there's a huge, um, you know, there's a huge range of what people are sort of paying and how they're able to afford it and, and sort of what they have access to. And, and, you know, I guess it was, it was through things like this, you know, it was through this sort of podcast that I was sort of made more aware of the sort of disparities between, you know, people in, people in Britain and people in the States. And I wondered for you, um, was it ever an issue in terms of getting sort of insulin or, or being able to sort of access the funding to be able to support that? Cause I know obviously over there, it's a very different system to here where we're lucky enough to sort of tick a box and, you know, it comes to the front door. Wow. Yeah. I've been so fortunate. My parents, especially my mom has been super great about taking care of it and making sure that I have my insulin. I wear the Omnipod and Dexcom on Mm -hmm. my left and right arm. So it's always been, it's always been covered by insurance. So I've been very, very fortunate for that and to be under my mom's insurance. Yeah. 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 And I think that seems to be quite a common theme in that, um, you know, once it's covered, it's sort of something that you then don't have to worry about. Um, and, and you sort of don't have that worry in the back of your mind, which just must be you know, pretty terrifying and scary. Yeah, for sure. And it's sort of, I guess, strange, you know, especially for people over in Britain, where, as I say, we're fortunate that, you know, we never really have to worry because it's all provided for us. So now I'm always kind of keen to hear about how things are, but yes, it sounds like, um, things are managed, which, which is a relief for you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of, you know, the main event and, and sort of the event that we're going to talk through, you was this your first marathon that you completed last weekend? This was my first marathon. So prior to that, prior to the entire marathon training, I had only ran 15 miles, but that was like on the whim one day randomly. So generally my long runs were about 12, 
So I was not used to running 20 miles. I wasn't used to running 14 miles. So this is the first experience of ever running 26 miles. Yeah. So you, so take us back, you know, it's two months before the event. You've obviously had this conversation. You've said, right, I've got eight weeks. I'm going to target this event and I'm going to target a marathon. So how did you sit down and sort of for people that I guess are getting into running and <laughs> I guess people like me as well, sort of how did that look over those eight weeks? Yeah, so my coach is absolutely phenomenal. She, she's my Amherst coach. And the great thing about our relationship is that she's my coach, but she's also my mentor. And honestly, one of my best friends, I think we'll be close for the rest of our lives. We, we were catching up yesterday and just talking about family stuff. So to have someone that, she's always been there with type one and has been so understanding of it. So she really gets the blood sugar component of it. So we sat down together and had an in-depth conversation of what we wanted it to look like. So Red Rock Canyon, which is the first marathon I did is one of the hilliest marathons in the entire country, (laughs) (laughs) which I didn't know at the time until about a few weeks right beforehand. But at that point it was like late January or no early January. And I was looking for, a marathon and I wanted one that I could drive to with my mom and my little sister and I just wanted to bang it out and then I saw Red Rock Canyon saw that I had two months and was like might as well this is now now's the time so I sat down with my coach and she looked into the course a little bit and knew that I hadn't been running up hills in a long time probably in about a year or so but my body honestly starts to break down if I do more than like two two workouts a week. So we decided that my long runs on Saturday would kind of be a workout just to build the base because mm-hmm. I was so not used to running more than 12 miles and feeling comfortable with it. And then Wednesdays would be my hill workout of the week. So at first it would start at, we only did quarter mile hill repeats because they didn't want to be sore for like five plus days after the fact because that's no fun. Yeah. And this would also end up being my strength workout. So I'm not one to do a lot of strength. I love core and arms, but that's about it. I can't, <laughs> not into the squats and all that jazz. <laughs> <laughs> so we started with, I think it was six to eight interval reps. And it was hard. The first week I was not a fan of it at all. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and then as time went on, but I'm someone that's just so determined and loves banging them out. So the second week felt so much better. The third week felt great. And then I think the fourth week I was like, I texted my coach and asked if I could run up a three mile hill instead of the interval reps. <laughs> and I think she thought I was crazy, but she was like, might as well go for it. And see yeah. How I think, then. I think she was right. I think you are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I don't know. I just, I take things to the extreme and I think it's so much fun. I can't wait yeah. to run ultra marathons when I'm older too. Oh God. Maybe an Ironman <laughs> here and there. So I, I find, I find the challenges very, very exciting. So got into those. And then my issue was kind of leading up to the marathon that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, weren't slow enough. I would finish my runs at seven minute pace and I didn't feel like I was recovering, but mm. I felt comfortable with it. So then my coach was like, huh, well, okay, just stay with it. See how you feel. And then, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think I've ran 65 miles before that was my peak mileage, but I've never ran that without doubles. So I I used to double in the summer twice a week. Mm -hmm. So I got up to 65 miles without doubling, which is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And then I wasn't taking, I wasn't taking Sundays off or anything, but overall my body felt great. I would fall asleep randomly after class. I think that's the biggest (laughs) thing. I still just like will randomly pass out in the middle of the day after my runs. Yeah. Without realizing, but overall my body felt good. Um, my blood sugars were great. So I'm someone that always just, I learned through so much trial and error at Amherst that 85% a decrease of my basal rate is what works wonders for me. So wow. I've always been a big fan of that. And honestly, like today on my run, I started at 143 and ended at 101 and ran for seven miles and it was absolutely perfect. So, and during those seven know. miles, there was, you didn't take anything on board. I had two goose. So I run with okay. my fanny pack. Yeah. I'm, I, I love my fanny pack. I always, I rep <laughs> that every day and I have my either goo gels or goo gummies. So then if I see myself starting a trend below 120, I'll have two goo gummies just because I'd rather, I prefer to sit around 140 than I prefer to sit around 90 on a run. Yeah. 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 So in terms how did, of, how about you when you were swimming? Like what, what did you, what was your ideal number when you were yeah. in the water? I'm just looking while you're talking to try and convert it. Um, 
Yeah, sorry. So obviously, uh, <laughs> hold on. Yeah. So when I, yeah, so when I swam, um, basically, again, it completely varied. So uh, when I first swam, I was absolutely terrified of going you know, of going low. And that was sort of, mm-hmm. you know, that was because it was this big, scary thing. And I actually have a really horrible story. And um, <laughs> yeah, so oh, one gosh. of the very, very low points of my career was, um, I must have only been maybe 11. And um, I remember diving in and I used to have this thing where I used to dive in and I would know that I was kind of seven, um, you know, seven or eight, which, um I'm just converting it now to see what you get. Okay, so kind of seven for me is looks like it's kind of 125 for you, which okay. sounds about right. Um, yeah. So I used to, yeah, I used to try and swim, and I would, I would, you know, start my event on 10 to 12, which is looking at it now, it's like 200. Um, so that's pretty high, and I would, yeah, I would want to start my event around there. And this was if I was swimming for maybe two to four minutes. So thinking back obviously the older I got the kind of wiser I got and the more I started to realize that I needed to be racing on a much lower number but the the the, when I used to dive in I used to sort of get this instant um shock and assume that that was me going low and you know I was only 11 I'd only had diabetes like two and a half years so that kind of shock was just pure panic that um you know I dropped hypo and I couldn't breathe and I felt like my chest was closing up anyway um you know as I got older and throughout my career I kind of um I realized it was more just the the shock of the cold water so there was various different (laughs) things I could do to kind of you know prevent that um but I remember one occasion I dived in you know the same thing happened I came up kind of halfway (laughs) halfway through the length and started like choking and my coach ran down poolside because obviously he was panicking that actually you know my bloods were going low and I was going to have to jump in and there was this huge competition and my coach was running down the poolside slipped and ended up breaking his leg wow so you know I had ended up climbing out the water testing my blood sugar of course I was fine so you know my coach is there on poolside with a broken leg and to make it worse my bloods are absolutely fine so um yeah it was weird um I as I say so for that reason um when I was younger I used to race really really high and then I started working out that kind of the lower I went the faster I went um and I ended up finishing you know so when I was swimming for kind of 20 seconds to 50 seconds which is kind of 53 50 meters um 100 meters I would race um around 90 for you so around five for me um and I would start my event and you know often I would finish the event slightly higher than that just because of the you know the type of exercise I was doing so um but yeah I'm kind of interested to hear obviously how you manage it so just because I have the conversion up now what did you say you tend to start your your runs on I personally feel the most comfortable when I'm hovering right around 150 Okay. So for me, yeah. So for, for, I guess, guys in the UK, that's kind of 8.3. So that kind of makes sense. And to get to that level, so say, you know, say um, you're going to run tomorrow morning, for example, how does that work normally? Um, Do you kind of get up in the morning, eat a little bit to get up to that level and then sort of sit on that? Or is it a case of, um, you know, leaving it a good few hours so that you're kind of tracking at that level for a good while before you start your run? (laughs) so I kind of have a neurotic method that works really well for me but I don't know if I would suggest it to anyone else so (laughs) I'm an early morning person I I I can't I always fall asleep around 11 p.m so I just wake up around 6 6 30 in the morning and I need a cup of coffee immediately and then so I put a little bit of cream and sugar but both both have no um both have no additional carbohydrates and then I generally have, it's, I used to have a mini muffin, but the mini muffins were horrible because then all of a sudden I was 150 with two double up arrows and it was like, shoot, I need to get out the door and start running immediately. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I adjusted that. And I don't know if have you ever heard the fiber one bars? Yeah. 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 They're sort of the pretty low calorie type things. Yes. So I'll have a 70 calorie one little bar of those. And then usually I'm out the door after I'm awake after like 45 minutes, but then so I like to have about 1.1 units of active insulin in, and then I'll adjust my basal rate by 85%. So that mm-hmm. way, because for me, I noticed that if I run with no active insulin, 
all of a sudden I'm like 250, regardless of how much I'm exercising. It's crazy. So I need, it's important for me to have both the active insulin and the basal rate, but I'm also someone that can't run on an empty stomach. I don't know how, how you feel about that, but with diabetes, I just think running on an empty stomach is an immediate low blood sugar for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. I spoke, um, I spoke to Daria a, a, a little while about this and I, yeah, so I have a really, I'm not sure. So basically when I swam, um, as much as, you know, even latterly when I was only swimming for, as I say, 30 seconds, I, my training sessions were still two hours long. Um, and I seem to have to take on board a huge amount of carbohydrate um, to get up to a level that is sort of um, comfortable for me to, to train on. And then I have to kind of repeatedly take on carbs to hold that level. So, you know, for example, when I was swimming, um, we used to swim at ridiculous hours of the morning. So my training session started at 5.15 um, and we would swim till 7.15. So um, I would be up at pretty much 20 past four. Um, I would go downstairs. I would have um, something to eat at half past four. And I would take on board at that point um, roughly 50 grams of carbs. So a huge amount of carbohydrate. And most mornings, you know, if I'd got it right, I would be waking up on kind of four or five. So that would get me up to about 10. And then during the swim session, I was taking on board easily 50 to 60 grams of carbs. Um, and because obviously I'm not on a pump and, you know, I take multiple daily injections, so I wouldn't have any active insulin. And I would, and the last time I would have had sort of long acting insulin would have been the night before. And most days I would finish my two hour session on about five or six. So, you know, from start to finish, I was waking up at uh, 20 past four on say five, I was taking on a total of hundred grams. I was swimming for two hours and then I was finishing on five and it was kind of like, it never happened, but that was my daily routine for, you know, years. <laughs> um, wow, that's such a good method. See, I only have about 20 carb- grams of carbohydrates in the morning and then I'm good to go. And if yeah. I had any more, I think I'd be too high. Yeah. So it's really strange. I very, you know, since I stopped swimming competitively, you know, um, as you know, I, d- I do a few runs, but pretty slow. And I did my first They're run. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> I will stupidly, I sort of built it up towards November and was getting quite good. Well, for me, and then hadn't run since November, went for my first run yesterday. I'll just add in that I'm in absolute agony today. <laughs> um, oh, no. So yeah, I can barely sit down. My bum hurts that much. That was um, me after the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but th- I ran 7K, not 40K. So <laughs> um yeah yeah I feel like you had more reason to be to be sore but um but yeah so for example yesterday you know I woke up on on four um or whenever I ran yeah I woke up on four I had uh 50 grams of carbs I went up to eight um I ran the 7k so it was like 35 minutes and then at the end of the 7k I was four so you know it seems to be really weird and you know that was with no insulin whatsoever on board so I always found that when I took insulin on board even a unit um I wouldn't even get through an hour of my swim sessions um without dropping low that I even now to take on board insulin I have to leave at least two and a half to three hours before I exercise otherwise within half an hour um I drop like an absolute stone and I've kind of messed about with it a few times with like my background insulin. So, um, you know, my long acting insulin, if I cut it right down, then, you know, that, that is a little bit easier, but, um, but yeah, I'm always amazed when I, you know, obviously hear people have sort of active insulin on board and then can go out and run because I know for me, if I did that, I would, you know, probably be in a ditch somewhere. (laughs) It is interesting how it varies so much from person to person. Yeah, no, it's very odd. But anyway, off on a tangent there. So yeah, you tended, yeah, so you tended to sort of throughout that, um, you know, throughout your training sessions, you were kind of taking on a little bits of carbs just to keep you up. And you said if you were dropping below a level you were kind of comfortable with, that's the point at which you would eat. Um, but aside from that, you sort of seem to be at a point now where you can kind of keep your level fairly steady throughout your run. Yes. I I feel very, very lucky that I've gotten to the point where I can pretty much just cruise through an entire run. But then again, I've also been running for 10 plus years now. So it's not something where I just snap my fingers and it all worked out. It's definitely taken so much trial and error. 
Yeah, yeah. And I guess, um, you know, before we move on, I guess that point, I guess for different sessions, you probably have to sort of approach them differently. Like I know for me, when I was doing sprint sessions, I was much happier to be on a completely different number to when I was doing kind of long distance, you know, sessions where I wasn't um, able to kind of take on board many carbohydrates. If I was doing kind of thousands at a time or whatever, um, I would be a different number for those sessions. Whereas if I was doing kind of short, sharp sprints, I guess it's probably the same for you when you're running as well. Yes, absolutely. Actually, I didn't even realize this, but one of my best friends who was my, also my teammate at Amherst reached out to me because she was like, I noticed because I would post my blood sugars on my runs. And she was like, I noticed that when you do a regular or long run, your blood sugars are super stable. But when you do for me, at least like at the time it was a hill workout, my blood sugars would spike so much more either low or after the run. And she was just curious as to how that works. So it's interesting for me. So if I'm doing an interval workout, I'll definitely spike more just because adrenaline adrenaline always does not work in my favor. So <laughs> adrenaline will mess my blood sugars up versus if I'm calm and just doing a typical seven mile run, I'm cruising in terms of blood sugars. Yeah. And, and last thing, um, I just keep thinking of loads of things to ask. Um, you know, I found certainly when I was living in Mallorca and I would go for a run, you know, it's obviously two completely different climates. So when I'm running here, it's typically, you know, 10 degrees or less. Whereas when I'm, um, you know, when I was in, in Mallorca, like we were getting up to kind of 30 degrees Celsius and above. So they're completely different. And I always found that uh, when I exercised in the heat and when I exercised in the sun, my blood glucose would drop almost twice as quick as to when it was cold. Um, so I wonder, is that something that you've kind of noticed being over there, but, um, depending on sort of how the weather is, um, does that kind of affect your training at all? Or is it something that you haven't really experienced at all? It's honestly something that I haven't really experienced at all. I, I, I it's definitely, we get a lot colder than it does here. I notice it more so then, and I don't know if this is actually happening, but I had two pretty bad experiences where my insulin froze on runs. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's how, yeah. Oh, it used to, you don't wear the pump. Yeah. So I would have it in my Omnipod and it would only be like 35 degrees Fahrenheit out or so. So nothing too crazy, but I wouldn't layer up enough just because I, I'd, I'd prefer not to run with a ton of layers when I'm running because I get hot and then want to take them off. Mm. But my insulin would freeze on runs and then I wouldn't realize until a few hours after. So I'd be eating in our dining hall with my friends. And then all of a sudden <laughs> my blood sugars are probably, I'm going to say 11 if we're talking UK with like two up arrows. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so it turns out what happens is I think like anything below 43 degrees Fahrenheit insulin will start to freeze. And then, but you have no idea that this is happening. So then all of a sudden the insulin's coming back into, for me, at least in my arm as crystals but the crystals like aren't, isn't, isn't the liquid, which is what you need. So yeah, of course. Yeah. This is why I prefer the moderate climate for sure. Because that way I don't have to deal with insulin freezing. <laughs> yeah, no, I've never heard of that, but I can, yeah, I can understand how it would happen. And yeah, it, I mean, it would be a pretty inconvenient, obviously. Um, so I guess obviously fast forward in, you know, fast forward in through your eight weeks, you've been doing your training, you've been checking in with your coach and you get all the way to the morning of the event. Obviously you mentioned you, you drove through with your mom and your little sister. And firstly, I mean, how did the event look? Was it sort of um, a strange type of setup obviously in COVID times or was it fairly normal? Um, how was the event sort of able to, to um, unfold for you? It was such a unique, the event itself was such a unique experience. So there were no spectators allowed on the course whatsoever. So we got to the course and I'll go more in depth on this with you later, but we got to the course around 5.30 and my mom and sister dropped me off. And I was like, go back and get some sleep because I'm going to be out here for a while. <laughs> so they had no, you weren't allowed to go cheer for anyone. So the only people that would be able to cheer for us were at the water stations, which is right, so okay. unique. But besides that, I would say it was a fairly normal. So fairly normal experience we did we only had to wear buffs which is where we wear it around our neck and then pull it up at the aid stations which was great and then the competition spread out so quickly so you didn't even need to be wearing it which was great because we were altitude so I was gasping for air as it is so yeah. I was happy to not be wearing a mask yeah no I've seen a few events where you know people are stood sort of with masks on right before and I'm like oh, <laughs> it just doesn't look comfortable um yeah so no I mean yeah it's obviously 
amazing that sort of things like that and obviously there are sporting events going on and i know in the uk they're going to be starting again pretty soon especially sort of outdoor things um but yeah no it's interesting to always hear sort of um how they're sort of working in in covid times um i guess so morning of the event you just mentioned it there you got to the course about 5 30 before that you know was there i guess you woke up you had did you have your normal fiber one bar before you went Yes. So I woke up at 4.30 and it's interesting because I had talked to Eric before and I told him, I was like, for the next month, I'm going to wake up at 4.30 a.m. just to train my body to get up at 4.30 a.m. And every single morning, my mom and I would talk and she was like, you didn't get up at 4.30, did you? And so I didn't do it once. Because I'd, I'd set my alarm and it also was to all I want for Christmas is you because I was like, this song will get me up because it's not Christmas time and I'll be so annoyed that it's on. <laughs> <laughs> and it completely backfired like 30 times in a row. So I had never woken up at 4.30. So I was just terrified I was going to sleep through my alarm. <laughs> yeah. But luckily that didn't happen. Woke up at 4.30 and then I immediately chugged coffee because 4.30, if I'm a morning person, but 4.30 is different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as someone who who spent years getting up at 4.30, I can I can tell you it's, yeah, it's not it's not fun. And certainly even Mariah Carey wouldn't, would struggle to get me out of bed at 4.30. So no, I can, <laughs> I can relate. Exactly. So I woke up at 4.30, got dressed, and then I had a cup of coffee. So it was, it was like an oat milk, low carb, low calorie latte type of thing. And then I had a Quest bar just because I was trying to figure it out what to eat during the day of the marathon when the race itself starts at 6 a.m. But obviously as type one diabetics, we need, or as anyone really, we need some sort of food in our systems given the fact that we're gonna be running (laughs) 26.2 miles. So I had a Quest Bar, which is about only 200 calories. And I don't know, I'm okay with running on not a ton of food in my stomach. So I did that about 4.30 and then got to the course at 5.30 a.m and had one of the goo stroop waffles. I'm obsessed with them. They're so good. I don't even, I don't think they're great for blood sugars, but they're sweet. <laughs> good for marathon <laughs> Yes, exactly. I was like, okay, this will get me excited to run at 6 a.m. So I had that at 5.30, but at 5.30, my blood sugar was about 150, okay. which was, what would that be? Um, I'm just looking at it. So 150 is, yeah, 8.3. Okay, perfect. So yeah, I was about 8.3 and then I had my stroop waffle and then on the starting line, I lucked out. I, I was lucky. I started at 160. Okay. Okay. Um, so for people in the UK, 8.9. Yeah. So only slightly higher. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. So th- yeah. That's pretty, yeah. that's that, for, I mean, <laughs> I have no knowledge of running marathons as you know, <laughs> but if I was going to approach one, then, um, I guess, yeah, that's kind of the level I want to be on. And in terms of insulin, um, obviously, you know, you mentioned you had your your, um, your Omnipod. So um, did you have any sort of active short-acting insulin at that point on board or not? I think, so I gave myself a half a unit for the Stroopwafel because those are quite sugary. So mm-hmm. on the starting line, I think I had about 0.7 of active insulin. Right. And I decided, so I obviously have the Omnipod on my arm and then there's the monitor that I generally carry around with me. I opted to not have that with me at all for the entirety of the marathon, which (laughs) was a little bit of a risk, but I assumed I was like, okay, I'm going to adjust my basal rate for four hours by 85%. I've done this before on every single long run before, and it's worked out well. And I haven't had my monitor with me. So I left it in the car with my mom and my sister and just went off and turns out I didn't, I didn't mean to use it at all. So the entire time I hovered, I got up to 200 at one point, but that was the highest I ever was. And I didn't get below 150 for the entire three hours and 21 minutes that I was running, which was great. Wow. Wow. And in terms of kind of what you were taking on board during those three hours and 21 minutes, how many sort of, um, what kind of carbohydrate intake were you taking generally? (laughs) This is funny. So I was hungry during the marathon. I was starving, but my blood sugars, my blood sugars were right around 160. And I was like, shoot, I don't want to eat anything too much. And then all of a sudden just spike through the roof. So I only ended up having like three quarters of one gel pack for the entirety of it. Wow. So what, maybe 30 grams of carbs? At Not most? even like 15 yeah. grams. Wow. For a, for a marathon. <laughs> 
like I we obviously spoke beforehand and I genuinely think to I, I mean I would be assuming to do something like that I'd be easily taking on 100 grams for the, for the for understandably the, so yeah for the thing that is huge and I guess that does kind of come back down to those you know those corrections or those adjustments you made beforehand you know that 85 percent reduction and and sort of not having too much active insulin on board but you know two you said you the highest you went up to was 200 like that's only 11 you know that's not yes okay it's a little bit high but when you're exercising that's really not exactly a speed uh, a spike either. so it long. sounds like you kind of nailed it in terms of the, your management throughout that marathon I did and I'm honestly still in shock with it about it and I didn't stop to have that gel until I was 15 miles in and then following that at that point I grabbed the electrolyte drinks because I was like I know I'm right around 160 and this could potentially spike me but I need something that's like filling me up again so I stopped and had two cups of those I think on mile 17 and mile 19 but luckily that didn't spike me at all I think it really was just watered down Gatorade yeah (laughs) didn't have have too much in it just to make it a little bit cheaper for them (laughs) exactly so in I guess diabetes aside obviously you know did you did you have a target kind of a target time going into it was there a you know was there a goal that you wanted to do you mentioned it was obviously a pretty (laughs) a pretty hilly course so um you know how how did the race unfold really for you diabetes aside absolutely so I didn't look at the course itself and realize how hilly it was until the night before, which was really stupid of me. (laughs) I texted it to my coach and then my coach and I talked afterwards and she was like, I didn't want to tell you right beforehand, but the course looked gnarly. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it turns out I ended up climbing 1900 feet. God which as I've if, never done it in my entire life. Before yeah. As if, as if a marathon, you know, just, just a flat marathon isn't hard enough. Just add, you know, add 1900 feet, just a, a little bit more of a challenge. Exactly. So I decided to not drive the course beforehand, which I'm really glad I ended up not because I think it would have completely psyched me out beforehand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so then in terms of the way the marathon worked, it was an out and back twice. So we repeated it twice essentially Mm -hmm. and the first and third quarter of it were entirely uphill it was brutal so I climbed 900 feet in two different portions of it and then so I would go slow on the way up and then I would cruise on the way down luckily and pick up some faster times but going into it okay this is a little backup story but there was this guy that I was seeing a few months ago and he was not nice and it ended but he had told me that his friend had on the whim ran a little slower than four hours and I'm so insanely competitive I was like (laughs) I have to crush this time I was like first of all this guy's a jerk and he's not nice and I need to prove him wrong I have type 1 diabetes so I'm gonna kill this marathon run a fast time and prove it to everyone (laughs) so my only goal time was to break four hours that was all all I was thinking about going into it because I knew it was hilly it was my first marathon I, I trained obviously, and I knew that I was prepared, but I also didn't, had no idea what I was capable of. So then when I was running it and knew that I was running faster than I was expecting to, the Boston marathon qualifying time for women is three hours and 30 minutes. Wow. So then I think about with six miles left to go, I was like, okay, I'm going to qualify. <laughs> and then from there, I really started dropping some fast miles, but yeah, I felt I was lucky first of all, that it was downhill. So mm. I could actually pick up speed. And my quads were burning at that point, but I don't know. I think one of the best things about having type one is like, we know what gritty is and we know how to really push ourselves and break these barriers. So I knew that if I had run 20 miles that I could easily run another six. So that was kind of the mindset heading into the last six. And I think, um, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong and I'd be interested to hear if it's the same for you, but certainly when I was, when I was racing, I thought, you know, if I went into a race and I was the right number, you know, if I was confident with where my bloods were at, I almost felt felt invincible. You know, I felt like I couldn't be beaten. I never really doubted my, like my ability in the pool. It was only a case of whether I got my, my bloods right. And it was kind of this really silly thing where if I was going in and say, you know, say, um, latterly in my career when I was when I was racing if I was going in on on seven so like 120 for you um I would think right my bloods are bang on exactly where I want them to be so 
you know, there's no reason I can't PB in this race that I'm going to swim absolutely amazingly. And I think it's that thing where if you get that part right, then sometimes you, you just, you think you can do absolutely anything. I guess for you, certainly during that marathon, you know, your bloods were fine. You didn't have to worry about them at all. So all you, all you, you know, all you had to focus on was running as fast as you could. Exactly. No, it's so interesting that you say that because I do think there's such a huge psychological component of having stable blood sugars on, on the race, on the race line, which is so interesting because I've, I've noticed if I'm 220, so what is that like 11 or 12 for you guys or even uh, higher? Say which, what number did you say again? Sorry. 220. 220. So that's like 12.2, 12.3 for us. Yeah. I would completely psych myself out. And then I, I would think that my blood sugars are too high for me to be racing. Or then if I'm too low, I'm convinced that I'm going to pass out on my L3. So I really do think when my blood sugars are in the right range, I don't even think about diabetes, which is so great. And that was the great thing about Saturday was that I knew that my blood sugars were under control and I would check them on my watch every few miles or so, but I knew I was in the zone. I knew I was in the right range. So then it was about competing because there were people ahead of me that I was trying to catch and I was ready to race. Mm, yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those things, cause I, I spoke about this with, with, with a friend of mine called Jack, who was, who was on this podcast as well. And he kind of said the same, he was doing an Ironman and he said, you know, my, when my bloods were in range, I had no, you know, I didn't question my ability at all. And I remember a few people messaging me on Instagram saying, well, surely you just need to make sure that you're in the right range then. <laughs> and I think, it's important to know, you know, certainly for yourself and obviously for me as well, that, you know, it can be hours and hours and hours before a sporting event starts that you need to start thinking about, you know, how you're going to get yourself to that perfect number. You know, it's not a case of just chancing it on the start line for you, I'm sure. And it wasn't the case for me when I was competing either. You know, it takes hours to be making sure, right, um, have I got the right amount of insulin on board? Have I corrected properly? Have I reduced my, you know, my long acting insulin? It's not a case of, um, and even if you do everything absolutely right, you know, sometimes you get to the start line and you just, you know, you, it, for whatever reason, you're, you're not the right number, even though you've done everything perfectly. So um, yeah, I feel like it's important to say that although we're saying, you know, if you get to the start line and you're on the right number, then you're going to be fine. It's very complicated to make that happen in reality. Absolutely. I think it's so much easier said than done for me. I was thinking about it two days in advance. And then not only that, but you're, you're prepping for a huge, massive race. And then mm. you still have to think about the blood sugar component itself. Like you want to be thinking about how you're going to be racing at what points you're going to push yourself at what points are going to be challenging. Like I think the diabetes component is so much harder than people realize it is. Oh, the absolutely. Time. there's so much that we have to we're thinking thinking about adjusting tweaking eating those blocks that we need to help to keep our blood sugars <laughs> within range yeah yeah no definitely and it's it's something that i spoke about um you know and i mean a marathon in itself you know people take months if not years to train for that sporting event you know that that in itself is very difficult and i feel like it's important to say you know, a mar doing a marathon and doing it as fast as you did is impressive in itself without the added, you know, the, with the added sort of difficulties of having diabetes as well. And I think it's easy to sort of say, oh, you know, you managed to do a marathon with diabetes, but a marathon in itself <laughs> is very impressive. And it's that, it's that ability to sort of manage both things. And as they say, they really, although training, as we've said, can be really beneficial for diabetes management. I, you know, I don't, a marathon is certainly not an easy thing to do with diabetes. <laughs> no, definitely not. So I guess um, you said, obviously, coming towards the end of the race, you was, do you say the last sort of quarter was downhill as well? Yes, which yeah. was so nice. Oh, man. So I hadn't walked any of it for the first half of it. And then I got to the third quarter of it where it was directly uphill. And I was like, oh my goodness, at this point, I just want to walk over to the side and stop. <laughs> someone please pick me up. Yeah. And then luckily I, I caught someone on that way on the third quarter. And then the guy that ended up beating me, he came in third, I came in fourth. He only finished like 30 seconds ahead of me. So I was running him down the last six miles. I was trying to catch him. <laughs> so that was helpful in terms of me just tr truly feeling like I was competing. Mm. Also, I haven't competed since last February prior, prior to this marathon, I'm someone that generally was racing every other week, every week 
So I, I love, I love competition. I'm so competitive. <laughs> so that was something that I really just missed so much and truly appreciated. And I didn't think I was going to be feeling like I was competing in a marathon it's so long, yeah. but I missed it dearly. So I, I was so grateful to have that opportunity. No, definitely. I think it's one of those things, especially if you've, you know, even if you've competed, regardless of the level at which you competed, I know when I stopped swimming and, and sort of had a year or so out the water and then I did just a little race just for fun um, at a proper, you know, swimming competition in Spain. And I was like, oh man, like I've missed this feeling. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is one of those things. I think if you enjoy it and you get a real kick out of it, it's really hard. It's something that's really difficult to sort of replicate outside of that outside of sport and in you know in the other aspects of your life it's quite hard to sort of get that same buzz so no I completely understand I think if I was managed to get to the last mile of a marathon I would be chasing down every man and his dog as well so um yeah no I understand but I guess you obviously you know you got to the end and you finished three hours 21 which do you know what that is did you work out what that was like per mile do you know how quick that was 7.36 per mile, I believe. Which is, yeah, pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty nuts. And then I guess, so obviously, you know, in terms of your diabetes, you finished. How did the sort of next 24 hours play out for you? Because I know for me, even when I was, I think the longest run I've done is like 12K. And that sort of affected me for sort of maybe six or seven hours afterwards. I kept sort of dropping down. So how, how did the next 24 hours unfold for you? It was interesting. So then immediately right after, I think within 15 minutes, we got in the car and drove back from Las Vegas to Southern California. So that was about a four and a half hour drive. And I just curled up in a fetal position in the backseat of the car. (laughs) I was awake, but I was like, I can't move. I don't want to talk to anyone. But my blood sugars took a beating afterwards. So I was around 240 for probably like three hours or so. And it took me a while to come down. Really? Really? So you sort of yeah, spiked I don't, and Yeah, I didn't there. go low at all. Yeah, it was so interesting. I was so annoyed because I was like, I'm ready to eat and stuff my face, but my blood sugars were not cooperating. <laughs> yeah, which is sort of a, a daily thing and a daily sort of annoyance sometimes. But when, you, yes. when you've done a marathon, I can imagine <laughs> the first thing you want to do, well, after a little while, is probably just stuff your face full of food. So no, that's interesting. I know, though. I didn't eat my cookies. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So the next 24 hours were fine. You sort of, once you'd kind of come down from that initial spike, I guess you sort of leveled out. Okay. Yes. Then I was pretty much perfect. It was just that initial spike and then stable blood sugars throughout, throughout the next day. But then I took Sunday off of running entirely. And I don't remember the last time I've taken a day off from running. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I run every day, which is probably not great for my knees or overall well being, but I do it anyways. And my blood sugars were high on Sunday just because I think my body's so used to high intensity training. So, and then I ended up running five miles on Monday and that's when I had to adjust my basal rates because I was like, my body's just not responding well to this. It's used to me running 10 plus miles a day. And how, and that first run back on Monday, was that, how did you feel? Was it okay? Or was it sort of agony for the first mile? And, and I'm interested to hear sort of after that first marathon, you know, you've ever done how, how you felt when you got back into your running. I'll be honest. I should not have ran Monday or Tuesday. (laughs) That was a stupid idea on my part. (laughs) My quads were burning at one point. I was like, am I injured? I didn't tell my coach that at the time though, because I was just, I'm stubborn and I just wanted to run. And then Thursday, yesterday, my body felt great. And then today I felt, I felt good too. But by Wednesday, yeah, I'm lucky. By Wednesday, it really turned around for me pretty quickly. So Monday and Tuesday, I probably shouldn't have ran, but I'm glad I did because it was a good shakeout. And then I'm horrible at stretching. I just, I can't touch my toes. That's one of my biggest <laughs> issues yeah. in terms of being an athlete. So with stretching and rolling out, rolling out was huge in terms of feeling like, my body was getting better. And then I took a lot of naps too. So yeah, then well, by Thursday, my energy was back. I was going to ask, cause you know, I, I mean, I was exactly the same, certainly when I swam and when I was competing, I was awful at flexibility and, you know, I really, really didn't pay enough attention to it. And looking back, <laughs> it probably would have helped me quite a lot. Um, but now, you know, I'm obviously cycling and I think I got away with it to a certain extent when I was swimming. Cause you know, there's, 
it's not a particularly high impact sport. You know, you're in the water, you're supported, whereas running when you're kind of pounding down the roads and, you know, I'm carrying a bit of weight, I'm like nearly 90 kilos. So when I'm running along, you know, it's quite a lot of impact every time. And I really don't have the best running style, which probably doesn't help either. Um, But yeah, I'm surprised to hear, I guess, especially given you run every single day um, that you sort of, I was, I was going to ask you actually, I, I thought I kind of assumed that you would have some, mad flexibility and stretching routine that was done every day to allow you to do this but it sounds like that's not the case no oh it's pretty pathetic I can't touch my toes I do core every day though I'm very into that and I don't know if that ends up helping me or not but big and big time into core my arms I did realize that so I used like Popeye my arms would just cross (laughs) my chest it was horrible but so I finally started doing little arm workouts so now I have better better form but it's I swear it's only like five pound weights <laughs> it's really not significant it's just the little mini bicep curls like from the videos in the 80s yeah it's just a hundred reps of each yes um, exactly <laughs> so I guess yeah so for the point at which you obviously finished that that marathon um talk me through how very very quickly um you got another marathon in the diary yes so I finished my marathon and then once we had cell service again, because we had no cell service in the Red Rock Canyon, right. I FaceTimed my coach and I was like, Cassie, guess what time I ran? And she was like 3.20 and she's so spot on crazy. She knows me that well. And then, so I guess the long runs leaning up to it, I'd been sending her my pace and just how it was naturally fast. Mm. And she said to me, she was like on a flat course, I think you can break three hours. But to break three hours, that's 6.52 pace per mile, which is crazy. Ridiculous, yeah. And I was like, I don't know about that, but I love that you think that I can. So then right after the marathon, I think I was stunned that the fact that I ran 3.21, it was that hilly. So we were talking. And also just because I've missed my entire senior track and cross-country season, I miss competing so much. And I feel like I wanted to end this chapter on another note rather than just to have it be one and done for whatever reason. So the next day I was like, I don't, I don't want to finish it like that. I, I feel like I have more in the tank, especially on a flat course. Yeah. I don't know if I can break three hours, but I definitely know that I can run faster than three hours and 21 minutes. So I went crazy Sunday morning. I texted my coach at like 6 30 AM. I was like, I'm ready to do this. <laughs> she thought I was insane. And then I called my grandparents a few hours later. So they live in South Carolina Uh and I had this whole idea that I could see them because they'll be vaccinated by early May Mm -hmm. and I could run it on a really flat course. So I picked May 1st, (laughs) literally two months after my first marathon, just because I think I've worn the tank and I think I have more to prove to myself. And I know that this is the best shape I'm probably going to be in for the rest of my life because once I graduate, I'll start working and I'll have a busier schedule. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm just in class. So that's really, that's really all I have to do. So I figured really, why not? And I yeah. know that I was crazy sore on that day, but I think as diabetics, we're always breaking these boundaries and doing things that seem crazy to us yet in reality, we're more than capable of. So I just really had this why not experience and then signed up for it that day. <laughs> which, yeah. Which, so the next marathon is what sort of, eight weeks is it a little bit more yeah eight weeks away which is and obviously yeah the goal being to try and break that three is and do um and where did you sorry where did you say the next marathon was in in carolina as well myrtle beach south carolina okay and that's a is that a flat one or is that a hilly one oh it's entirely flat this is it's ali it's so great so instead of climbing 1900 feet for the entire (laughs) marathon i only have to climb 90 feet Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it's so it, different. So the, yeah, I mean, I, I apologize if you've already told me, I was just looking up there when you were talking about quite how fast, you know, that would have to be. So obviously you mentioned sub three hours is sort of 6.52 pace, which mm-hmm. I know a lot of the people I speak to kind of work off kilometers and that's like 4.15 <laughs> per kilometer. So to put it into, you know, a little bit of perspective, 
when I did a 10K, I was absolutely over the moon to break 50 minutes, which is five minutes per kilometer, obviously. And you're talking about doing a marathon at 4.15. So <laughs> for anyone listening, that is just absolutely absurdly quick. So yeah, no, I obviously that will be very impressive if you manage to do that. And I guess in terms of your diabetes, then there's nothing really it sounds like to improve on. It's more a case of being able to replicate it again. Exactly. And which is so interesting. It's weird. I almost wish that my first experience didn't go as nearly as well. So that way I could look back and think about yeah. what I have to adjust because I'm also such a perfectionist. So if I do it once, I expect to do it the exact same way. And obviously with type one, that never happens. There's so much variability. So I think the key thing is as well, I'm building up back with mileage. I'm getting up to 70 miles a week at one point rather than 65. So it's going to get a little crazy. Yeah. But yeah. I think the key thing for me is just to be comfortable with the variability in blood sugars because naturally that's inevitable. You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to be perfectly sitting at 150 every day. That's just not the reality of life. Yeah. And I think that's such a key. Yeah. That, that, that's such a key message. I know for me, like the more I competed and the more sort of experience I had of racing and training at various different numbers, the more comfortable I felt, you know, that was the only way that I learned, oh, actually I can race on five. I can race on six. Like I can race on these lower numbers and, you know, not die. I can be okay. And I think it's, it's a hundred percent like diabetes in general is being able to deal with the kind of variability and the fact that, you know, I always say you can wake up, on the same number, have the same breakfast, have the same amount of insulin, you know, do the exact same things. And two hours later, you could be two completely different numbers on two completely different days. It is just, it is not an exact science. And certainly, I mean, for me, when it came to sport, you're, you're bang on. It's all about being able to address that variability and, and compete on various different numbers and say, be able to compete when you're coming down, be able to compete when you're going up. You know, it is just being able to do that and I guess it sounds like maybe you've caught the bug for marathons so maybe the more you do the more you'll kind of have that experience of, of working out exactly what works best for you definitely I actually signed up I'm doing <laughs> uh the JDRF one in Chicago in Chicago in October but I think that one's gonna feel more fun but I do do want to emphasize the point that while I am trying to run these times the reason why I, I, I decided to run a marathon in the first place was because I wanted to prove to myself that I can do anything I set my mind to with type one. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And I think, I think that's so cool that we're able to compete and to live our lives to the best of our ability while having type one. And I think for me, it's never been a setback. It's always been a motivator. And I know a lot of people say that, mm -hmm. but I think that's so empowering to have a illness that pushes you to do things that I probably didn't have type one. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And I guess, um, I guess on that point, and probably one of the final questions I have for you is, you know, looking at 20, looking ahead to sort of 2021. And, um, you know, the, the, aside from obviously the targets you have for the marathon coming up, and then the marathon, it sounds like you've got in October as well. Um, <laughs> what other targets do you have you know as it is it a case of trying to get back um and do some cross-country competitions once they once they can hopefully start again um or is there any any other running targets or any other sporting targets in general so what is 2021 hopefully got in store for live i wish that i was able to compete in cross-country so th this is my senior year so after this i i graduate so i would have had my last cross-country season this past fall and then ah, okay, my okay. last track season this spring that's why i decided to do these marathons in the first place because yeah of i didn't want to have my last season be last february because that just i didn't feel like i had any closure so and it's funny because I thought I would do this one marathon and then get my closure, <laughs> but yet in reality, <laughs> it's opened up this new, entirely new hobby that I love so much. And I think it's so, so much fun for me. So in reality, I didn't get closure. I, well, I feel like there's an ending to a chapter. There's definitely a new door that's been open and I'm just excited to do as many marathons as my body lets me to eventually do ultras, I think would be cool. I don't know how I feel about an Ironman because of the swimming component. <laughs> intimidates me a lot <laughs> yeah. 
yeah no it's fair enough well if you need any tips on the swimming then I'm more than happy to help but um I will take you up on it <laughs> yeah 100% well look um thank you very much for taking the time out I know um we've obviously been been on for quite a while now and but no I do really appreciate you taking the time out to speak to me and yeah it's been fascinating look as soon as I saw that you'd done the event um you know I was keen to hear all about it and as I say, you're probably the, the most positive, if not, uh, and certainly the, the happiest sort of diabetic account that I follow. So no, it's always a it's oh. always a pleasure to to see your posts. Um, but I I wish you all the best. Obviously, we'll be in touch. Um, I'll let you know how my very slow half marathon training is going. Um, I'm so excited, Ali. This is amazing. <laughs> you're absolutely gonna crush it. I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader on Instagram. Trust me. People always thought I was a cheerleader in high school and I was not because I'm not flexible enough, obviously, but I obviously. have the past, so <laughs> I'm so excited for you. You're absolutely going to kill it. And thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. Hopefully I didn't sound like a doofus for the entire no, Definitely not. Definitely not. No, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure you'll be back on at some stage, but look, have a lovely day. And yeah, I hope things start to, well, continue to improve over in, over in LA where you are and, and some, uh, some sort of normality comes back soon. Thank you so much. You too. And stay safe. You too. I'll speak to you soon.